Welcome to the Compliance 911 Show, a no-nonsense podcast discussing hot topics for today's busy compliance professional. It's everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. And now, here are your hosts, Dean Stockford of M&M Consulting and Len Suzio of Geodata Vision. Dean, great to see you once again and to record another podcast. I just noticed your AI podcast had a huge impact. In fact, it broke all the records for all our podcasts these uh, past two and a half years. So it appears we're bringing important topics to our audience that they're very interested in. What do you have on tap for the audience today, Dean? Hi, Len. It's always great to see you as well. And I just want to uh, take a moment, if I, can, if I may, just to uh, thank you for your participation in our 14th annual compliance school that we had last week. Um, I'll chalk it up as a huge success. We had, over the three-day period, over 170 participants and uh uh, as always, your presentations are enlightening, and uh, I really appreciate the support in, in your uh, presentation. So thank you for that. But um, to you know, to to basically expand on what we were just talking about, I did see that our open rate was around thirty one percent on uh, that uh, on that AI podcast that we did. So that's pretty good. Um, I'm encouraged. Excellent. The topic. Don't don't be too modest, Dean. That was great. Yeah. It broke the record. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm certainly encouraged that we're having an impact. But uh, Podcast 60 provided information, uh, which is the last podcast I did, on electronic funds transfers, Reg E, as it relates to payment apps. So today I thought I would expand and bring us back to the basics of Reg E error resolution provisions and the very strict timeframes established for addressing these claims. That's a great topic, Dean, and I'm certain our audience will appreciate it. So go ahead and lay it out. All right. Well, perfect. Well, you can obviously tell I'm struggling a little bit today with a little bit of a head cold, so I apologize. We already we already sound funny enough up here in Maine. Now <laughs> you add you add a head cold to it, and it sounds even worse. But mm -hmm. for, here we go. Let's jump right in. Uh, the Electronic Funds Transfer Act establishes basic rights, liabilities, and responsibilities of consumers who use electronic fund transfer, remittance transfer services, and of financial institutions or other persons that offer these services. The primary objective of the act is this part is to protection of individual consumers engaging in electronic funds transfers and remittance transfers. This part applies to any electronic fund transfer that authorizes a financial institution to debit or credit a consumer's account. The term electronic funds transfer means any transfer of funds that is initiated through an electronic terminal, telephone, computer, or magnetic tape for the purpose of ordering, instructing, or authorizing a financial institution to debit or credit a consumer's account. The term includes, but it's not limited to, point-of-sale transfers, uh, automated teller machines, direct deposit or withdrawals of funds, transfers initiated by telephone, and transfers resulting from debit card transactions, whether or not initiated through an electronic terminal. So now that we understand the coverage and the definitions, let's jump on into the provisions in, in the very strict timeframes around those error assertions. Great idea, Dean. Uh, I use my debit card for just about everything. So understanding what protections are available 
when an error occurs is helpful to me personally. So go ahead. I yeah, want to well, hear what you have to say. Well, for sure. You're in luck as I'm, I'm going to address the error assertions and the provisions that surrounding those assertions. So first, we must address the definition of error. The term error means an unauthorized electronic funds transfer. That could be an incor incorrect electronic fund transfer to or from the consumer's account, the omission of an electronic fund transfer from a periodic statement, the computational or bookkeeping error made by the financial institution relating to the electronic funds transfer, the consumer's receipt of an incorrect amount of money from an electronic terminal, an electronic fund transfer not identified in accordance with specific sections of Reg E, which is 105.9 or 105.10A, the consumer's request for documentation, again, by those sections, or for additional information or clarification concerning an electronic fund transfer, including a request the consumer makes to determine whether the error exists under certain sections within Reg E, which I name the paragraphs A1I through uh, A1-6 uh, uh, of this section. Secondly, we need to know the address notification of error as this also can impact other provisions of Reg E. So what is the FI's policy? Meaning they have some sort of an established policy when somebody has an error, what is it that they need? How do they, how do they communicate that to the bank? Do they require error assertions in writing? Regardless of their policy, they must begin the investigative process as soon as the error assertion is received. And that does not have to be in writing. One common issue we see is a delay in starting an investigation despite the sole requirement of verbal notification to the financial institution not later than 60 days after the periodic statement is sent and they identify that error, including information such as the customer's number, account number, and why the consumer thinks that there is an error. All too often, institutions will require a written statement or affidavit to begin the investigation. And per the regulation, You've already violated the statute if this is your approach. You may requ request a written statement or affidavit, but an investigation into this dispute is actually required regardless of whether the consumer provides one. Wow, that's really interesting to me because I always thought written notice of error was required before investigation begins. Well, you're not alone. Many still think that. And perhaps this is why we see so many timing violations when we audit this process. It's important to note that the institution does not have to provide provisional credit if it requires a written confirmation of the dispute and does not receive the written confirmation within 10 days of the initial oral dispute, but it still needs to investigate immediately. After the financial institution receives notification, oral or written, emphasis added, they must be immediate, immediately, they must immediately, excuse me, investigate to see if the error can be resolved within that 10 business day time frame. If the error cannot be resolved within that 10 business days, this is where the institution makes a determination on whether the customer complied with the request to document the error in writing within 10 days. If so, previously, excuse me, provisionally credit the consumer's account with the disputed amount plus any interest lost and fees charged as a result of the error must be provided. They call this the provisional credit. So again, as long as the consumer complied with the written policy of the bank, then the bank can then provide what we call provisional credit. 
Within two business days after the credit, they must notify verbally or within writing of the provisional credit of, to the consumer, but ensure that they maintain that evidence to prove when provisional credit was provided and to make sure that the provisional credit was provided in the appropriate amount. If needed, they can extend the investigation period up to 45 calendar days or 90 calendar days for POS debit card transactions or transactions initiated from outside the U.S., in other words, an international ATM transaction, an inbound uh, uh, ACH, et cetera, or new accounts. They also have provisions to extend the timeframes that are allotted. Finally, once we extend the investigation within the timeframes discussed, we need to complete the investigation and determine if an error, <coughs> excuse me, within the timeframes actually occurred. If the error did occur, correct the error within one business day and notify the customer verbally or in writing within three business days of completing the investigation. If applicable, credit interest and refund any fees imposed as a result of the error. If provisionally credited, confirm or adjust final amount and notify the customer that the provisional credit is final. <coughs> Excuse me. Final resolution cannot be reversed, even if more information later proves the error did not occur. If no error occurred, debit the consumer's account for the amounts provisionally credited, if any, and provide written explanation of your findings. Advise customer within three business days of completing your investigation. <coughs> and excuse me. There are a few things that are needed in that notification about our investigation. <coughs> the date and the amount of debit reversal or provisional credit, if applicable. The bank will honor any pre-authorized transfers, checks, and drafts payable to third parties for five business days after sending the notice up to the amount of the provisional credit, charging no fees for resulting overdraft. And then finally, remind consumer of the right to request the documents the bank relied on in making this determination. So that's an awful lot, obviously, mm -hmm. to consider in very strict timeframes. <coughs> Excuse Wait. me. Yeah, you're hurting today, Dean. Uh, the, you get kudos for the effort. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I'm going to be out. I'm going to be out for a little bit here, Len. So I figured, well, I will. Uh, I'll try to get this one in so that we can keep our podcast going as we normally do. So, um, Great. I appreciate everybody dealing with the frog in my throat that I have today <laughs> and uh, some breaks in some of my uh, uh, of, of my script. But uh, by all means, this is a. Uh, uh, I think important information to our audience. Oh, it definitely is. It's great information. And, and honestly, I didn't realize how strict the provisions are with regard to timeliness. I'm certain our audience got a great deal from today's topic. So on behalf of the audience, Dean, I say thank you to you. <laughs> thank you, Len. This is Dean Stockford from m, m Consulting. And this is Len Suzio from GeoDataVision saying, thank you for listening to today's topic. And please let us know of additional topics. You, that you would like us to broadcast in future episodes. Thanks for listening to the Compliance 911 Show. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, please give us a like and review to help others find the show. As always, links are in the show notes, and you can always find us online at compliance911show.com. Follow M&M Consulting and Geodata Vision on LinkedIn for all the latest news and information on compliance hot topics.